Hey, Reach Paramount, welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. Let's give Jesus a praise now. Come on, this is, come on, let's celebrate Jesus. Amen. Uh, you can be seated. I love you guys so much. You're so beautiful. And... Uh, I just thank God for pastors and, and, and leaders and um, pastors' wives. Let's take a moment, and if you're a pastor's wife, would you just stand up? I just want to pray a blessing over you. If you're a pastor's wife, would you just stand up? And just remain standing. I want to pray a blessing over you. My board told me, you know, uh, and it's, it's very true, you know, the pastor's wife is typically the most underappreciated person in the church and people don't don't tend to sometimes even recognize them until they're gone uh, and my board told me they said any person in your church can leave and your your church will be fine except one person that's right one person and they're like that's 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 your wife and my wife has been a co-laborer with me uh, for right at 20 years and I just want to I just want to say to you um, you are a gift to the body of Christ yes. and uh, I know whether you preach or you are from the stage or you don't or you sing from the stage or you don't or there's just a lot of sometimes demands that people think you should be and not be and and way you should act or not act I just I just want you to know it's, it's totally okay uh, to be where you are and be who you are and realize that as much as the church is maturing and your husband's maturing, you're also maturing. And don't let people label you because when they label you, uh, they can limit you. And so I just want you to know that you are a gift to the body of Christ. Would you just stretch forth your hand to these diamonds? Father, I just thank you for every one of these diamonds, every one of these pearls. And Father, I just break off of them any, any feeling of, of inadequacy. And Lord, I just declare that they are more than enough to be and do all that you've called them to be and do. Strengthen them. Heal them of all the wounds that people have, have, have uh, done to them, uh, that have hurt them, their, their family, their children. Uh, Lord, just people, just the words, moments they've given their heart and their love and their affection and people have trampled over it. God, I pray that you would honor your word. Lord, that you would give them favor, that you are considered favorable when you endure unjust treatment. And I bless them today. I declare divine health and healing over their bodies. In Jesus' name, give them all a big God bless you. You can be seated. Amen. And I know my wife, she's, she ministers to, uh, I say I have eight kids. She has nine. She has me. Um, but um, I want you, everybody take their phone out, if you would. Take your phone out. And uh, I, want to, I want to put this QR code on the screen. And if you'll, if you'll take a moment and just scan that. And um, I think they'll put, it's called my Knowing Jesus QR code. They can put it up for me. Um, there you go. Just scan that. And if you, if you loved what was talked about 
um, last night and you're like, I want to know more about that with Jesus. Um, this is something um, that'll take you to our page where you can get all of our resources. And that's, uh, that's another book that we just came out with. I didn't even bring any because it literally just came out. And uh, just helping your team, your church, yourself dive deeper into who Jesus is and what he wants to do in your life. And I want to tell you, pastors and, and even and parents, there's a lot of things that the world's telling us to offer our, our children, to offer our church. We have nothing shinier to offer people than Jesus. There's nothing shinier. There's nothing more beautiful to offer people or your children than Jesus. And uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about that. And uh, I also want to, I want to talk just quickly. I didn't do it all last night, but I brought, I only brought, I think I got like 10 left of my bundles. Um, and I'm going to share just for about, what I, I don't know what it is today, 45 minutes or something. Uh, but I have a, a master class that I've done, which is uh, 10, 10 sessions on parenting. And you can pick that up in the bundle out there along with cell phone, um, cell phone uh, permit. Would you guys pray for us with cell phone permit? And how many of you say, Pastor, I'll pray. I'm at least going to pray because this is such a, a, a challenge in our nation. And every parent here, if you've got at least an eight, nine-year-old, they're already asking you for a phone. Am I right about this? Already asking for a phone. And it's so hard to go back and try to reprogram children after they get those bad habits. And uh, if your child gets an inappropriate picture, text to them. Are you 100% sure your child knows what to do with that picture? Are you 100% sure you've talked to them, you've educated them on what to do if they get an inappropriate picture sent to them? They, somebody sends them a nude picture. Somebody does, do, do you, does, are you sure your child knows what to do? Because if they send it to another child, they're trafficking child porn, which is a felony. And most parents don't realize that until attorneys are involved. It's like two clicks, two clicks. Uh, one of my children ended up uh, getting on pornography uh, he was he was younger, and I think he was like ten years old. And he he Googled um, Spider-Man costumes for Halloween, and within three clicks, he was in porn. Three clicks. It, it, if you don't sit down, if they don't. If you don't really know, most parents give a phone away. Hey, it's Christmas. It's your birthday. Here's a phone. We have a 15-minute conversation. We say, hey, don't do something stupid. They're gonna do something stupid with a 15-minute conversation. Our church started a driver's ed program years ago. It's one of the ways we funded our, our youth ministry. And uh, our youth leaders were in there with car, in the cars with teenagers for, you know, hours and hours teaching them and praying with them and all that kind of stuff. But it's 36 hours before the state of Minnesota trusts you with a driver's license. 36 hours. And we give our kid a phone with a 10-minute conversation. 15-minute And then when they mess up, you just take it away for a week and you give it back. You still don't educate them. So if you think like you're going to give it to them and your 15-minute, even one-hour conversation is going to keep your kid from not doing something they shouldn't do, you are totally mistaken. And you really, 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 they're on these things five, six, seven hours a day. 
So how do they handle this? How do I, how do I navigate it? And this, what this does, it really sits them down with you as a parent. Because we call it self-impairment, because like a license, you don't get a license first, you get a driver's permit. And you do that with your parent. So all the passwords, everything, you do this with your parent. So you start with phone. You do that good for six months, you get phone and text. You do that for another six months, then you get internet. Now you're a year and a half in before you get to internet. We still never recommend social media. If you do get it, it's two and a half years. You mess up in the process and you break the contract, you go back to phone. And you go through the process again. You, you, this is teaching them how to handle this in a safe and secure way. We just give them the phone. It's got internet, text, apps, everything. And, and we wonder why they get in a train wreck. They're going to get in a train wreck. And so uh, a lot of us, when we got phones in our generation, we never read anything. We just accept, 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 accept. You don't read that stuff. So we just, we got phones. And what we did, we modeled privacy to our kids. No, you can't have my phone. No, you can't have my password. But what we wanted from our kids was transparency. So in order to get transparency from our children, we have to model transparency. So we have a family password. So in our home, we have a family password. Everybody has the same password. And anybody can use anybody's phone at any time. I never get an amen on that. Because <laughs> you're so used to modeling privacy. But if you want transparency, you got to model transparency. No phones upstairs. You don't FaceTime people in your bedroom. No phones at the table. The Mayo Clinic says the average family spends 90 seconds together a day. That's not under the same roof. I'm talking about engaging and talking and having community. And they live on these phones. And if we don't get involved and really educate them and talk to them, and not a big brother, I caught you, but hey, this is why, that everything I do on here is a digital tattoo. That what I do, what I post, what I say, how do I handle this? Talk to me about this. I need to know. I mean, there was just uh, on the news, many of you saw a, a wonderful, handsome 17-year-old uh, teenager got caught up in sextortion. He sent a nude picture of himself to somebody posing as a girl and said, I'm going to send this picture to all your family and friends if you don't give me money. He only had $300. He sent $300. And the guy was like, that's not enough. I need more. And he ended up committing suicide. 17 years old over sextortion. Parents had no clue it was even happening. Some of you, your kids have phones and you don't know it because they get phones when they go to school. We hustle candy. There's kids who hustle phones. They give your kid a phone at school for 20 bucks. They use the school Wi-Fi and everything. They have all the social media platforms. They turn the phone back into their friend when they, when they leave school. You don't even know it. Like if we don't sit down and really educate our children, this is going to be a big hurdle. And so one of the things that we're doing is trying to get this into every church. So Matt's made it available. I think they've got, you can scan that QR code. If you're interested, what our church did, here's what our church did. We made this available unlimited to anyone in our community, anyone in our community. And we, we went on the local news and we told them, because we, everybody knows this is an issue, not just Christians. Like you can Google it. Like the stats are like social media is going to destroy your family, right? So 
the suicide rates are through the roof, the anxiety, the depression. So what we did, we went on over in our local news, we promoted it, that, hey, this is a resource we're giving to every visitor and everybody in our church for free. And so what we've done, we've made it available to churches. I think it's like 100 or 150 bucks a month. You can make this program available to everyone in your church for free. For free. And, and we had over 80 first-time visitors come when they, when they came to get it because parents, have, they don't know what to do. So if they just go online and buy it themselves, it's like 200 bucks. And so we were able to go on and say, look, we're making this resource available to everyone in our community. All you have to do is come and get it. And then we taught classes. We, met, we had our youth leaders involved. And I'm telling you what, we saw so many families come. And it was a great resource. And we're saving a lot of kids. Can somebody say amen about that? So I just wanted you to know, if you're interested in that, you can scan the QR code, reach out to them. They'll, they'll explain everything to you. But I'm asking you to pray and ask God to, to help us get this into the public school system. We want to make it a prerequisite to bring your phone on campus. In order to bring your phone to the school, you got to take that course. And if you mess up, you can't bring your phone until you take the course again. Because right now, schools don't even know what to do. And so really pray for us that God will help us with it. So I want to talk about it. So Father, I thank you for all of these beautiful parents and leaders and pastors. And I ask that you administer through your precious presence today that we would leave here changed. Everybody say changed, changed. Renewed, renewed, restored, and a hunger for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give Jesus a praise one more time. So whether you have kids at home, uh, you wish you had kids at home, or you have kids at home that you wish would leave home, this is for you. I had somebody come to me the other, uh, I was at a church, and uh, uh, people older, older than me, they came to us and said, we've got you know, grown children in our house, we're trying to get them to, how to leave the house, do you have any advice of how we could get them to leave the house? I said, I don't, I don't know if this will work. I said, I'm not there yet, but the best, the best advice I've heard to get them to leave the house is just try walking around the house naked, and they will leave. <laughs> Today, they'll be like, I can't take it. I don't know. Just something to pray about. And, uh, but I think they'll pack their bags today. Sleep in their car if they have to. Um, but to be, to be hungry for the Lord and to be parents that are hungry for the Lord, I think is so beautiful. Um, I, I think, I think more than anything, uh, you know, as a pastor, I go into hospitals and I'm, I minister to people. And I, I always know when I go meet with somebody, I know if they're really sick because um, one of the signs of, of, of being really sick is you lose your hunger. And they say, Pastor, pray. We can't get them to eat. They won't eat anything. And I think, I think if you lose your hunger for prayer, you've lost your hunger for the word of God. You lost your hunger to pray as a family to pray as, as children to read the word of God. You've lost hunger for his presence. It's a sign that there's, there's some uh, sickness in your life that God needs to heal. Because the Bible says, he that hungers and thirsts after righteousness shall be what? Shall be filled. And we want our kids filled with the Holy Spirit. Get your kids in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Do whatever you have to do to get them in the presence of the Holy Spirit. When they get in the presence of the Holy Spirit, it rewires them. 
it does things that a thousand hours of talking will not do. One touch from Jesus. If one touch of molestation can wound a child, one touch from the Holy Spirit can heal a child. Come on, can I get an amen? And so, um, I'm going to share some of what you need to know. It's not everything you need to know. I'm going to share some of what we learned. It's not everything you need to learn. I'm going to do a little bit of emptying my cup, but just because I empty my cup doesn't mean it necessarily filled yours. Uh, but I want you to know you have what it takes to be the parent that God's called you to be. God gave those children to you. And children are never a burden. They are always a blessing. Everybody say they're always a blessing. They're always a blessing. And I get it. I get how challenging it can be. I understand it. Um, and I know some of you think, well, you know, uh, I'm not an absentee father. You don't have to leave home to be absent. You can be at the dinner table and be absent. You can be in the car and be absent. You can be in, in the living room and literally uh, be absent. I, 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 just, I was just looking at a poll that came out um, the other week. And it was a Gallup poll done by a thousand. They, they, they did a poll on a thousand teenagers within 24 hours. 42% uh, received no words of praise or affirmation in 24 hours. Half of them, no hugs, no kiss. 44% had never heard the words, I love you one time. Not one time. And I know we talk, and I'll talk more about discipline. I talk more about it in the book. But I think there's also this thing called preventative discipline, which is when we love our kids, we make time to invest into them so that a lot of what they do in acting out is really a cry for help and attention and love. Can I get an amen on that? And, and I know how challenging it can be as a parent, but you have what it takes to raise the children that God has given you. And I'm going to say thank you to this wonderful piano player. Give him a big God bless you. Thank you so much. And, you know, when it comes to parenting, when it comes to parenting, um, and you, you're good. Thank you so much. I'm going to pause on it. Um, when it comes to parenting, I remember my wife and I, we had just gotten, we had, we had just gotten married and... Uh, she had come home from the doctor. She was very upset because the doctor had told her, you know, there might be something going on where she may not be able to have children. So he's an idiot. And so, uh, so we ended up going to the store and we got this dog, which was the worst financial mistake I made in my adult life because the dog lived forever. And we went and got this dog. And when we got the dog, we said, you know, we can't, we don't want the dog chewing up everything, blah, blah, blah. So we're going to get the dog training. So we sent the dog to training. The dog was in training for like two weeks. Before we got ready to pick the dog, up, they called us and said, you need to come in for a day of training. I said, no, I just need you to train the dog. They said, no, we need to train you. Because if we don't train you, you will destroy all the training we've given the dog. And I looked at, I looked at my wife, Joanne, and I said, isn't this something? You know if we need training for a dog, you know we need training when it comes to being a parent. And the last thing you want to do when it, go, when it comes to parenting, because parenting is probably the most challenging thing that you'll ever do in your life, and it is the most important thing you will ever do in your life because your children are the only thing you can take to heaven with you. 
The only thing, your title, your title is not transferable to eternity. Some of us are running after titles. You only need titles anyway because your name's not great. God told Abraham, I'll make your name great. When your name is great, you don't need a title. Billy Graham doesn't need a title. Martin Luther King doesn't need a title. Ask God to make your name great. Come on, somebody. Isn't that beautiful? Lord, everybody say, Jesus, make my name great. That you would receive all the glory. So it's going to be one of the most challenging things. It'll be the most important thing you ever do. So when it comes to parenting, the last thing you want to do is wing it. You don't want to wing parenting. A lot of us are messed up because our parents winged it with us. And you're not going to be who God has called you to be by yourself. You need the family of God. And, and Proverbs 4 and 5 says, get wisdom. Everybody say, get wisdom. Get understanding. Proverbs 22 and 6 says, train up a child. Very famous verse. Train up a child in the way they should go that when they're old, they will not depart. Says something about the beginning. Says something about the end. Says nothing about the messy middle. How many of you messed up in the middle? There's more than that. How many of you messed up in the middle? But you're here today because God's word is true. To train up a child. How many of you, how many of you grew up with Sunday school? How many of you remember the felt boards? Come on, here's the little whale. Here's the little... Anybody remember felt boards? It was just me, right? So you, Sunday school, and, and you learn the word of God and train up a child in the way they should go, that when they're old, they will not depart. There's going to be a messy middle. Footnote, if you're taking notes, you cannot protect your children from their testimony. You have a testimony, they're going to have one too. And train them up in the way they should go, that when they're old, they will not depart. So what am I saying? I'm saying it takes you. It takes you getting involved in being invested in raising the children that God has given you. I'm saying we have to stop outsourcing parenting. You have to stop outsourcing it. Where I'm not good at math, you teach them math. I'm not good at sports, you teach them sports. I'm not good at the Bible, you teach them the Bible. You teach them to pray. And if you guys don't teach them praying good, I'll find another school. I'll find another church. So how about you take some responsibility to raise the child that God has given you? How about you get involved? Nobody's going to love your child, care about your child, and understand your child more than you. God gave them to you, and I get how challenging it can be. I understand that. I understand how you have to get away sometimes and just have privacy because you need your soul restored because kids want to own your soul. I know what it's like to walk in. Every time I walk in the house, it's like holding a press conference. Yes, Alexander, we're going to do No, I answered that on you. Yes, Liliana. No, we're going to do that on Tuesday. Yes, Nicholas, we're going to do that on Friday. Yes. No, we're not eating that tonight. I, literally, like when I get home tonight, I have to hold a press conference when I walk in the house. And I have to answer a hundred questions. I get, I understand it. And, but the days, and the days are long, but the years are short. And you blink, and the baby in the car seat now has the car keys. Wow. And when it comes to parenting, you can cram for a test. You're not going to cram parenting. You're not going to play around and get to 14, 15, 16, and be like, oh, man, I feel like I'm losing it. Let me try and cram it in. That may work for test. That's not going to work for parenting. Parenting is seed, time, and harvest. And they did a study on men 
20 to 40, they did the same study on women from 20 to 40, and 20 to 40 men are focused on what am I going to be, how am I going to get there, making my brand, making money, making a name, and they neglect family, they neglect children, they're trying to focus on all these other things. Women from 20 to 40 are focused on character development, most of them. They're focused on uh, raising the children, they're trying to focus on, on, on the family. It flips at 40. And at 40, now that the kids are more grown, you know, she, she's been spending 20 years focusing on character development. She's ready to be a CEO. <laughs> you now at 40 have realized money's not everything. The gray hair is coming in. It's receding back here and coming out here and here. <laughs> and you're realizing money's not everything and, and family is important and children are important. The problem is you can't go back and reparent. You can't go back. And this is what the Bible says, the blessings of God bringeth no sorrow. That God says if you will focus on, if you will focus on your family and your children from 20 to 40, when you get the money, you'll still have your family. You'll still have your marriage. So what good is it to have the money and you lose your marriage? What good is it to have the money and you lose your children? That's not the blessings of God. The blessings of God bringeth no sorrow. And hear me, you're going to make more money from 40 to 60 than you are 20 to 40. You're going to make way more money. Most CEOs are in their 60s and 70s. Most people who become president are in their 60s and 70s. If the most fruitful, productive years of your life are in your 70s. Just, just, look at the, just look at the CEOs across America. Look at the most wealthy people, the people who make the most money in America. They're in their 60s and 70s. So why are you sacrificing your parenting? Why are you sacrificing these 15 to 20 years where you can focus on your family and your children for money when you're going to make 10 times more money when they're grown? So good. So do not sacrifice your family and your children at the altar of money. Do not outsource the parenting and take the time to ask God to heal you. Get healed because if we would get healed, our children won't have to get healed from having us as parents. Do you know how many people have to get healed because their parents were not healed? There's a very famous story for the sake of time. I won't, I won't read it all, but in Mark chapter nine, uh, in Mark chapter nine, um, there's a very famous story of a father who is uh, has a son who is possessed by demons, and these demons are causing the boy to throw himself in the fire, causing this boy to throw himself in the water, try to drown himself, try to. Uh, set himself on fire and, and he's dealing with suicide. If you're a grandparent, would you stand? If you're a grandparent, would you stand? I want to say something to all the grandparents. In, in America, suicide is the leading cause of death amongst teenagers. And did you know it is a statistical fact that if a teenager has a healthy relationship with their grandparent, they have almost a 0% chance of suicide. Do you know why? Because grandparents are unconditional love. That's why when you get them back from their grandparents, you have to re-educate them. (laughs) 
So maybe our kids don't need more medication. Maybe what they need is a healthy relationship with their grandparents to save their life. So would you, would you stretch forth your hand to one of these grandparents? Just anyone? Father, I bless these grandparents. And God, I ask that the words that they speak to their children and grandchildren would grow. That the influence they have in the life of their family would not diminish with age, but increase with age. That they would literally shape the legacy of their family. I speak healing over their bodies. I declare that the best days of their life they have not lived yet. And that all of their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren will ultimately spend eternity in heaven with them. And hell will not see their family. In Jesus' name. Come on, give God a praise for it. Amen. And this father brings the boy to the, the disciples. The disciples couldn't do anything with him. And, it, and Jesus finally looks at the father and says, bring the boy to me. And this, this one statement, I could preach for a week on that one statement. Bring the boy to me. You have to get your children to Jesus. Yeah. To Jesus. Not just church, because sometimes they can come to church and not get to Jesus. You have to have Jesus in your home. You have to be like Jesus to your family. If your children only see you pray on Sundays and worship on Sundays, that is called religion. And the best place to raise an atheist is a religious home. You will raise an atheist because they saw you practice something in front of people that you did not live. I remember waking up as a teenager and seeing my mother on her knees. On the side of my bed praying in the Holy Ghost. Over me because I was a teenager and I had lost my mind. I remember walking in the house and seeing my parents worship and pray. And I knew that this was something that they did not just practice on Sunday. They, they exposed me to the Holy Spirit. They prayed over me in the Holy Spirit. They welcomed the presence of God. They prophesied over my life. Do you know how many people have, in your church have never received a prophetic word from their parents? Do you know how many students we have who go to school systems? And if you were ever bullied, these are demonic prophecies that were spoken over you. And most demonic prophecies are so short you remember it. You're dumb. You're ugly. You're fat. You're stupid. You're a failure. You're a loser. Nobody likes you. You're annoying. These are demonic prophecies. And, our, and they scar our children and our children are so hurt they come home and say nothing about it. And we say nothing. We're not speaking up. We need to open our mouth. And when the enemy opens his mouth, we open ours. That we tell our children, you are fearfully and marvelously made. 
Everything about you is beautiful. You are like Jesus. Everything about you is created by God. From the color of your skin to the texture of your hair. You are fearfully and marvelously made. You are bright. You are brilliant. You are going to change the world. You are somebody in Jesus Christ. You are the head and not the tail. Above and not beneath. You are a daughter of the king. And we, and we begin to speak blessing over their life, all of their life. One of the things the Lord told me to do four years ago on Father's Day, and I don't know why, but you know, Father's Day is this day that you blink, it's over, nobody even thinks about it. And you'll, you'll get some little gift they bought on your credit card, and it's like, I don't even know, did it happen? I don't even know if it happened. And, and the Lord, I, I was just talking to the Lord about you know, Father's Day, my, and my family started asking for Father's Day. And I began to realize I don't really want anything from my family. All, the, the one thing I want is something they can't buy. What I want is influence in your life. I want to speak into your life. That's all I want. And the Lord told me, he said, this Father's Day, I want you to write a prophetic word for every one of your family members. So I wrote a prophetic word for Joanne, my wife, and all of my children, individually. And then I gave them a gift that tied to the prophetic word. I, on Father's Day, I give my children and my wife the biggest gift I give them all year. It's the most expensive, biggest gift I give them all year is on Father's Day. And I walked in that Father's Day and I had them all these gifts eloquently wrapped. They had no clue what was gonna happen. And they were like, what is happening? And I said, I'm, God told me to give you. See, men are not receivers. We are givers. You, will, you feel more blessed when you give. That's why most Father's Days you're disappointed. Because you're not made to receive. God made you to be a giver. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And, and so I, I began to read the prophetic word over them and I gave them this gift and my whole family's weeping. And I frame it and I put it in their bedroom and every time I go in at night to pray for them, I, I re-prophesy. I prophesy, I prophesy, I profess what I see yes. over my family. Your children are desperate for a parent to get in the presence of God and show them and talk, tell them what they see over their life. Your child does not want you to just make a bunch of money so they can be whatever they want. I don't know where we thought that is a, that is a win. And then we say, I don't know where you should be. Go talk to this guidance counselor who doesn't know you. Let them tell you what you should be. Let your friends tell you what you should be. Let social media, because I don't know. I don't know. You have to go to God and say, God, show me in a dream or a vision what my child should be doing. Yes. And when you don't see, you feel. If all the lights in this room went off right now and you had to get out of here, you know how you get out of here? By feeling. But if the lights were on, you could run out of here because you could see. That's why the Bible says, write the vision, make it plain that all that see may run and you'll know you have no vision because you can listen at how you talk you talk about your feelings I just feel I don't know how I feel 
but see how I feel. How do you feel? I used to feel. Your whole life is based on feeling. You're making all your parenting, I don't, I'm boring you, I don't want to bore you. You're, you're, you're making all your parenting decisions based on feelings rather than sight. But if God showed you, you could run. If you're single, you need to not date based on feelings. You need to date based on sight. I don't, need to, I don't need to even ask how I feel about it because how I feel doesn't matter. God showed me my husband. I saw what he was doing. I saw him. Because what you see with your eyes, you believe in your heart. And so you need to ask God to show you with your spiritual eyes your husband or your wife. And if you don't, you know why if you get into, I don't want to get into dating, but I talk to my teenagers about dating. If you get in, if you, do you know why men will not ask you to marry them if you date them and sleep with them before you're married? Do you know why? It's because if you have, if you, let me help you young ladies. If you want to get married, do not sleep with them. If you, if you want to get married quickly, don't sleep with them. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why we won't marry you. If this was a picture and I was going to hang it, what would I ask you? Is it straight? Do you know why I'd ask you if it's straight? Because I'm too close. If I sleep with you, now I'm like this. And I'm like, I just, you know why he won't marry you? Because he's not sure if it's straight. When you, when you keep him further away, he can commit because he can tell if it's straight. The closer you let him get to you, the reason he's scared to ask you is because he's not sure if it's straight. And he wants to, but he's, he's scared because he's, he knows he's too close. And you'll operate on feelings because you cannot see. Oh, Jesus. And so the father brings the boy to Jesus. You have to get them to Jesus. I'm not against extracurricular activities. I'm not against sport. My kids play sports. They do instruments. They do all these kind of things. But do you know that the odds of your kid taking that extracurricular activity, first of all, let me say something. It's anywhere from three to 400 hours you spend annually on an extracurricular activity and anywhere from 23 to $2,700 a year on that extracurricular activity annually. And the odds of your student taking that annual extracurricular activity with them into adulthood is 0.005%. That your kid with that saxophone is going to be Kenny G. So you're several hundred dollars a year. You're, I mean, you're $2,300. You're three to 400 hours in football and basketball. I went in our kids' ministry the other day and looked in there, and I came back and told the parents, look, they're not all going in the NFL. I looked in that room. They don't have it. They do not have it. But they can all serve Jesus. They can all fulfill God's plan for their life. They can all be filled with the Holy Ghost. They can all walk in freedom and deliverance and healing. 
and, and you just got to look, okay, if I'm spending four to five, I mean, when you talk to people about, hey, this, your kids are on something four to five hours a day, and parents are like, I don't know if I want to spend a hundred bucks. I don't know if it matters. Are you serious? I can't take my family to Taco Bell for less than a hundred bucks. You're spending 400 to $500 annually and 20, I'm sorry, 23 to $2,700 in four to 500 hours on this sport. How much are you spending on their walk with Jesus? What are you doing to invest in their walk with Jesus? You should be taking them on planes and sending them to conferences. I took my teenagers to, the, to Israel with us this year because uh, we were told by our pastors that if you get your kids, if you can, if you can expose them to, to where Jesus was and let them see it and let them experience it, it, it does something for their faith to know this is real. It's not Wakanda. It really exists. <laughs> Jesus really lived. He really died. He really came back to life. And you walk the Via Della Rosa and you see where Jesus was. It, it, this, is, this is not just something that, that is invented. This, this is a real place. The word of God is real. And it cost us, I don't know, 15 grand. But it's worth it. It's worth it. What are you doing to invest in your children's walk with Jesus? I understand. I have to come home. And you know what it is to get eight children? I'm doing senior high, junior high, big kids. I'm doing all kids ministry. <laughs> and sometimes it is beautiful. And the Holy Ghost shows up. Like the Holy Spirit showed up the other night. And we were sweeping. Everybody was weeping. And we just praying. The kids were praying. And, and we were the praying for each other. I teach my children to prophesy over each other. It cuts down on sibling rivalry. When they prophesy blessings over each other. Teach them to prophesy over each other. Declare the word of God over each other. On Christmas, my 14-year-old my wrecked us. He came in on Christmas and gave everybody gifts. And he had a prophetic word. We didn't know he was going to do it. He had a prophetic word for everybody. Oh my God, we're just weeping. So he begins to give him gifts and he gives a, he had a word for, for me, he had a word for his mother, his little sister. She was like eight years old. He gives her this gift and he's like, Penelope, God's going to heal your eyes. And he's like, your name's Penelope. It has people in it. You know, and he's like prophesying, but you practice it. You, you practice the presence of God. We practice everything else. They, they can't even talk and they got little plastic kitchens and little plastic grill sets and car. You know how much plastic food I've eaten in my life? You, you know, all these little things. We practice football and they got fun. We practice it, but we're not going to talk about Jesus till they're 10, till they're 14. We're not going to talk about prophecy till they're 17. Why don't we talk about it when they're, when they're four and three and, and get them to lay their hands on you and pray and prophesy. Every time I preach, I bring one of my children up to pray for me. Every time I preach, I bring a child up to pray for me. Even when, I, even when they're so little, I had to tell them what to say because I never wanted them to be scared of the stage. Do not speak shyness over your children. Oh, they're just shy. They're just shy. Shyness can be a curse that robs your children from their possibilities and opportunities. There's not a parent in this room that doesn't want their child to be bold and courageous. And look up at me. Come on. You're somebody. Speak up. Speak up. Look at me when you talk. All of us want that for our children. So why do you keep speaking this prophecy over them? Prophesy over them every time you introduce them 
speak destiny over them. Every single time you introduce them to somebody, this is Nicholas, my pastor. This is Isabella, my worship leader. This is Liliana, she's our prophet. This is so-and-so. They're going, and it can be all kinds of other things, business people and CEO, but declare blessing over them. Yeah. Speak blessing over them. And now we brought it into our church. Every Father's Day at our church, I bring all the fathers down, and, and I put up 10 prophetic words that I wrote and I put them on the sidewalls, and they're just scripture. I only use scripture. I put it up, and I say, I want you to pick one that best fits your family, each child, and I want you to add to it, and I want you to read it over them today. And they go home, and they just begin to read it over their families, and now it's become our tradition on Father's Day. More than an old car show, Come on. more than, I don't know, what else, beef, jerky, and steak. I'm not against any of it. I think it's all wonderful in addition Yes. Yeah. Wow. Come on. Come on. That's right. To a godly pastoral voice in the home yeah. as a father. So all the kids are like, Dad, we got to go to church on Father's Day. You got to get our prophetic word for the year. Oh, wow. And so I help the dads I, because, you know, sometimes they don't know where to start. That's why they go, that's why Hallmark, they go to buy a card. Let me see what somebody else wrote. This is what I think of you. <laughs> So if they can do it with Hallmark, let's do it with the Word of God. Come on. This is the Word of God. And, and then they start the journey of prophesying. You have to get them to Jesus. Get them to Jesus. And tell them they're like Jesus. What a beautiful compliment. My daughter, Victoria, she is, she is the most like Jesus in our... She's seen Jesus twice. She's seen Jesus. And every time she's seen, she's like hysterical. She has a Jesus doll. Did they bring the picture of that? I don't, mad at, I don't know if they did or not. But she has a Jesus doll. That's what she wanted for. She wanted, my wife found this Jesus plush, plush toy doll. And so she FaceTimed me last night when I get, she's got Jesus. She's, it's her and Jesus. And I'm like, she's just so meek and lowly. She's never like, what about me? And I'm next. And I, that's not fair. She's always like, no, you go ahead. That's fine. I'll wait. I'm like, you're so like Jesus. And all the other kids are like, yeah, she is. Man. She is like Jesus. Because they're not. They're selfish and rude and all that. And they're like, yeah, Victoria is like the Lord. She really is. And, and. Ask God to show himself to all of your children in a dream or a vision. Because if, if they see Jesus, their life will never be the same. If they see Jesus, they'll never question their faith. Pray that over them. Prophesy. I, I prophesy you're going to see Jesus. God's going to reveal himself to you. If, if, I, if I go out to eat and I come home talking about a meal, guess where my kids want to eat? They want me to bring home Randy's donuts. Because they've seen me eat Randy. I'm like, oh, it's amazing. You got it. They go, well, can we have Randy's donuts? What if you came home talking about you wouldn't believe the time I had with Jesus? Oh my God, if you guys could have seen what he showed me this morning in prayer. It was so beautiful, it just changed my life. And if you could have seen what he showed me in this vision, oh my Lord, you, if, I wish you could have seen it. Guess what they want to see? 
they go, God, I want to see Jesus. I, I, I want to I feel the Lord. Well, well, Daddy, what is, that, what is that you're talking? Oh, that's praying in the Holy Ghost. I want to pray in the Holy Ghost. The best way to make someone hungry is let them watch you eat. Let them, let your children experience what you're experiencing with Jesus. Children are terrible at doing what you ask them to do. They're literally the worst at it. Didn't I tell you to do this? How many times do I have to tell you? Didn't your mother tell you? If I have to tell you one more time. They are the worst at doing what you ask them to do. But they are amazing at doing what they see you do. They will do what they see you do without you asking. They will pray like you. Make prayer fun. Well, prayer is boring. It's boring because you make it boring. Make it fun. We do this thing in my house called 60 Second Preach, where everybody has to run around the house, find an object, and preach on it for 60 seconds. This is how I get all my sermon illustrations. So they run around the house. Everybody's got to find something. You got to preach on it for 60 seconds. I don't know. Preach on it. I don't know. It's like a slinky. It's a slinky. And sometimes when life gets turned upside down, you just get out of whack and out of shape. And, but because you're connected to the hand of God, he pulls you back. And they just preach on a slinky. That's amazing. Wow, what a great word. And you just and preach. Go on that 80, 90-inch TV you bought at Costco and zoom in on, go on Google Maps and zoom in on grandmom's house and pray for grandmom. Zoom in on your church and pray for your church. Zoom in on the, the capital. God knows our nation needs prayer. Pray for our nation. Find ways to make prayer engaging. Find ways to make prayer fun. And, and it doesn't always have to be the same. Does it, change it up. God is in a relationship. It's a relationship. You know, people are funny because people always talk about, I don't, I don't want religion, I want relationship. Relationship's hard. Religion's easy. Relationship's hard. Relationship is daily. I can't give my wife the same gift every birthday. I can't give her the same card every birthday. She wants a different one. She wants, to, some, she wants you to think about it. She wants you to make it new and fresh and plan it. And, and I, religion is if I could just give her the same thing every time. People go, I want relationship, but they, they really don't. They want the same service. They don't, they don't want the relate. Relationship is hard. Relationship is getting up and saying, God, how do you want to do time today? How do you want to do time with me today? Religion is I just do this. It's religion's easy. But this is the price of relationship. This is the price of little. He says, bring the boy to me. They bring him to Jesus. And he's been like that since he was a child. And he couldn't hear and he couldn't speak. These are demons that keep your children from being able to communicate to you. These are demons that, that keep our children from being able to hear what you're trying to speak over them in destiny. Jesus uh, talks to the Father, and the Father says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Now we know while the child is unstable, because the Father's unstable. I believe, but I don't believe. 
If there's anything in your life that has to be an anchor, it has to be Jesus. Money can come and go. Homes can come and go. Jobs can come and go. All these things can come and go. But your faith has to be an anchor for your children. And again, your children will do what they see you do. If I walk in the house and I say, oh, I've had a bad day, leave me alone. Everybody just leave me alone. Hey guys, dad's had a bad day, leave him alone. Hey, mom's had a bad day. Everybody just leave mom alone, she's had a bad day. Then when your kids turn teenagers and they come in the house, I've had a bad day, leave me alone. So I have to walk in the house and say, I've had the worst day in a long time. I need my entire family to come around me and pray for me. Wow. All of you. I need my entire family to come pray for me. I am very angry right now. I am very upset. I feel like lashing out at everybody. I need my family to come pray for me. So then when my teenagers had the worst day and they feel like lashing out and they feel like attacking everybody, they walk in the house and say, I need my family to pray for me. I need my family to pray for me. How many of you would love your teenager to walk in the house and say, I need my family to pray for me? This is the beauty of having God in your home and making God a part of your family. That ministry is not separate. Ministry is another one of our children. And sometimes the whole family goes to Nicholas's football game. And we all sit there to support Nicholas. And sometimes as a family, we also go support the child of ministry. It's, it's, it's not, if, if, if I, I tell you how we make all the kids hate Nicholas, is all we do is support Nicholas. And we don't support the other children. But we teach our children ministry is another one of our children. And we all love ministry. We're all thankful for ministry. Praise the Lord. So bring them to Jesus. Jesus sets the boy free. He casts out the demons. Only Jesus can do that. Can I get a good amen about that? Teaching your children to apologize. Letting them see you apologize. I apologize to Joanne. I am so sorry. I apologize to my children. Joanne apologizes to me. I am so sorry. And not just I'm sorry. What are you sorry for? Because I'm sorry is an incomplete sentence. You have to teach your children how to apologize. You cannot just let your children say whatever they want whenever they want to their siblings. You can't just go to your sister and say, you're the most annoying sister in the world. I can't stand you. No, no. We're not going to say that. You will not be Satan's evangelist in our home. You are, you are 10 years old. You are not going to be filled with hate. Because hate is how you make Satan your pastor. We are not going to do that. You are going to apologize. And apologize for what you said. And then you're going to redeem it with a godly prophecy. So I'm sorry I told you that you're the most annoying sister in the world. You're actually not the most annoying sister in the world. You're the most wonderful sister in the world. You're probably going to change the world for Jesus Christ. You'll probably be a multimillionaire and heal people all over the planet with your words. You're so gifted and beautiful, and Jesus is on your life. Praise the Lord. Amen. That's how we apologize. We don't just say, I'm sorry, and move on. We have to practice things because practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes permanent. We have to practice going to people's homes. If we were going to Pastor Eddie and Pastor Roxanne, we would practice it before we came. What do you mean? 
go outside the door, <laughs> knock on the door. And when you come in, you're going to, you're going to look at people, shake their hand, look at them in the face. Oh, wow, this is a beautiful home. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. Thank you for having us. This is amazing. This is a great blessing. Wow, thank you so much. We're going to practice it. Tell them, how old are you? Remember how old you are? Because they're probably going to ask you. Do you remember your name? Great, practice it. We have to practice. Because if not, they come in the house, and then they hide, and they're shy. And then, the, and then we get mad at them. Well, they didn't rehearse it. They didn't practice it. They don't know what to do. We teach our children that we, we have family values. You have to get family values. This is a beautiful thing to do for your church, is to help your whole church get family values, where they can submit it, you print it, frame it, give it to everybody in your church. Get family values. The clothes you're wearing, the company probably has values. The car you drove here in, the car company has values. How do you not have family values? You gotta write down your family values. One of our family values is God speaks to me no matter my age. Another one is I will do nothing consistently that consistently takes me away from God's house. So if my teenager comes and says, oh, this football team I wanna play for has practice every Wednesday night, can I do it? No, because that takes you out of church consistently and you need to be in God's house. Can you miss? Absolutely. Can you do that? Absolutely, but nothing consistently. So if you don't have your values, then the coach sets your values. If you don't set your values, the world will tell you what you should value. And now you're, a lot of you are making your whole calendars based on what other people told you to value. You value God's house. Stay-at-home parents don't produce church-going kids. We, we, we are going to be in God's house. It is family time. Well, we're not going to church today. We're having family time. Is it really family time? Or is dad watching the news? Mom's on her iPad. Kids are on their phone. Maybe you'd have more family time driving to church as a family, worshiping as a family, serving as a family, going out to eat afterwards as a family. Maybe, maybe church time is your best family time all week. Church time is family time. One of our values is we care about other people around us. How many of you have been in a restaurant and there's a kid losing their mind in the restaurant and it's ruined the whole atmosphere of everybody? How many people have been in that environment, right? Okay, we have to teach our children your right to be here should not destroy everybody else's right to enjoy the same experience. So you have the right to enjoy the experience, but your right does not destroy everybody else's right to also enjoy the same experience. So we're going to care about other people besides ourselves. That means take the shopping cart back to the little corral thingy. What's well, somebody else's job? I don't care if it's somebody else's job. We care about other people than ourselves. Pick up this table. It looks like a bunch of wild hyenas ate at the table. We're not leaving this for the server. Pick up all the french fries and all the napkins and all the things like that. Stack the dishes because we care about other people besides ourselves. How many of you ever been on the plane and there's somebody looking at a phone without headphones, watching a movie and listening to music. They don't care about anybody around them. That's the kid who's at a restaurant with an iPad listening at a movie and they don't care about anybody else other than themselves. This, this is why we call it raising parents. Like our children have to obey 100% of the time. That's the goal. Do they? No, but that's the goal. We don't, we don't go, okay, it's 50%, that's okay. No, because because when you, if you're okay with the 50 and 70%, then they show up for work on time, 70%. 80% faithfulness in a marriage is not going to work. 99% faithfulness 
is not going to work. We need 100% faithfulness in this marriage. And it may just be a little thing when they're, when they're little, but it grows. You are raising a future dad. You're raising a future mom. Teach them to pray. Teach them how to access the presence of God. If you fail to teach them anything else, it's okay if you teach them how to have a relationship with Jesus. Because whatever you fail to teach them, Jesus will teach them. But if you fail to teach them, David said, God taught my fingers to war. His father didn't teach him how to fight. God taught him how to fight. God literally taught him how to be the most ferocious soldier on the planet because he had a relationship with Jesus. So whatever else you fail to teach them, you cannot fail to teach them their relationship with Jesus Christ. Come on, am I helping anybody in here? Psalms 127 and 4 says, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children born of your youth. Your children are the long-range weapon in the spirit. The long-range weapon in the spirit. That they will go into areas and do things and accomplish things that you will never see or do. Pray over them. Prophesy over them. Model honor in your home. The less honor you have, the more rules you have to have. That's why we need more rules as a nation, because we have less honor. Each time I go into churches and I see see signs like, keep this locked, clean up after your mess. It's like, because there's no honor. So people have to create rules. Teach them that if they don't handle their responsibilities, the responsibilities don't go away. They get shoved to someone else. If I tell my son to take out the trash and he doesn't take out the trash, you know what we do? I say, bring your mother in here. Call your mother in here. Why? Just call her in here. Mom, would you come in here? Ask your mother to take trash out for you. Dad, I'll do it. No, no, no. You're, you're too busy. You are too busy. Ask your mother to take the trash out for you. And he'll stand there and watch her take the trash out. If she tells him to clean, straighten up his room and he doesn't, she say, ask your dad to come up here. Ask your, Ask your father to pick up, pick up your, your dirty clothes for you. I'll do it. No, no, no. No. You're, you, no, you're too busy. You're too busy to handle your responsibilities. Ask your dad to pick up your clothes for you. And stand there and watch me pick up the clothes. Because it teaches them that if you don't handle your responsibilities, they don't disappear. They get shoved to someone else. Teach them to handle their responsibilities, especially young men. If you don't, you're raising some young girl's nightmare. Teach them to assume responsibility. Even if you get it wrong, if I got the car in the ditch, I can get the car out the ditch because I still have my hand on this wheel. Teach honor in your home. I don't even let my sons sit down to eat till their sisters have been served. What are you doing sitting at the table? Your sister, go, go fix the plate for your sibling. 
If there's anybody you don't want to serve, it's a sibling. It's a sibling. That's why God could trust David with the kingdom. Because David went, David didn't go down to the battlefield to kill the giant. He went to serve his siblings. See, worship, we always talk about worship as singing song. Worship is not, real, real worship is not singing song. Real worship is doing what God wants you to do when you don't want to do it. That's what worship is. Do you know the very first mention of worship in the Bible has nothing to do with singing? It's Abraham taking his son. He says, come that we may worship. There was no band up there. There was no songs. All that was going to be up there was sacrifice. Worship is sacrifice. Worship is sacrifice, not singing. Come on. It's good. It's like, it's, it's the equivalent. If, I to, if you tell your kids to clean your room, and then you come home, and they didn't clean the room, they're like, you're like, why don't you clean your room? And they're like, well, we didn't clean a room, but we wrote you a song about a clean room. <laughs> we wrote this song. We want to sing you about a clean room. You're like, why don't you just clean your room? I don't want a song. Just clean your room. Maybe God doesn't want another song about something we're not doing. Maybe he just wants us to clean our room. I don't need you to sing another song about prayer and you don't pray. I don't need you to sing another song about sacrifice and you don't sacrifice. I don't want you to sing another song about generosity and you don't tithe, you don't give, you don't, you don't serve. Like, just, just clean your room. Honor. Teach honor. to You want your daughters so familiar with honor. I want my daughter so accustomed to honor that when they go on their first date at 35 or 40 <laughs> and the guy doesn't open the door for them, the guy doesn't pull the chair out for them, they go, my own brother shows me more honor than you. A lot of women get into relationships with men that are dishonoring because they weren't accustomed to honor. They didn't know what honor looked like. You want your daughters to feel so honored in the home. Can I get an amen about that? Yes. Learn to apologize. Don't complain because complaining is how you tell God you don't approve of how he's running your life. So we're not going to complain. We're not going to dishonor. We are not going to be Satan's evangelists in our home. We're going to pray. We're going to prophesy. We're not going to complain. We're going to get rid of sarcasm. Don't let sarcasm come in your home because one, your kids can't win the sarcasm argument. Sarcasm is at best for peers and you're not peers with your children. You're not their friend. You are their parent. Can I get an amen about that? Especially when they're young. Invest in your marriage. Joanne and I invest in our marriage for our children. Any investment into your marriage is an investment into your children and your grandchildren. Sometimes I line all the kids up. I just tell them, look, your mother and I are going amazing places. And the food is going to be wonderful. And you are not going to be there. You're not going to be there. 
<laughs> I want mommy. I just want mommy. Everybody wants mommy. You're not the only one that wants mommy. Everybody wants mommy. I line them all up. I told them I love all of you. There's nothing I wouldn't do for you. But out of all of you, your mother is the only one I chose. I didn't choose any of you. Praise the Lord. And you just have to decide what your win is. This is a big one. I, I, I'm, I'm, I think I'm almost out of time. But you got to decide what your win is. That when Joanne and I are sitting in the rocking chair, holding hands, and we look out at the kids and we go, we did it. We won. What is that to you? What is that to you? If you don't define it, you have to define this because this becomes the filter by which you make all your parenting decisions. So for us, and you can take this if you want, but we had a pastor help us with this. Our win is that our kids want to spend time with us, each other, Jesus, and the church when they don't have to. That's our win. I don't care how much money they make and they don't want to spend time with me. What good is it to spend 20 years raising a child that wants to talk to you 20 minutes a year? Oh, but they're a multimillionaire. And? Well, they have all these degrees and they're famous. And? They don't know Jesus. Your child's destiny is to be like Jesus. For those he foreknew, he predestined to be like Jesus. That's, it. That's their destiny. Their destiny is bigger than money. Their destiny is bigger than fame. Their destiny is bigger than... Their destiny is, is, is eternal. It's not temporal. They're all trying to... What's my destiny? What's my destiny? It's to be like Jesus. That's your destiny. How freeing is that? How wonderful is that? How much peace that brings your children? When you tell them, you are, you are going to reach your destiny. You're going to be like Jesus. You are becoming like the Lord. I don't want to raise children that don't want to talk to each other. Do you know people don't talk to their siblings at all? At all. What good is it if they have all these things and they don't know the Lord? So then this is the filter by which we make every parenting decision. Okay, is this going to help them want to spend time with us? each other, Jesus, and the church? Or is this just about money? Is this just about fame? Is this just going to help them this or just help them that? Is this going to, are we investing all of this into something that they're probably never going to take with them into adulthood? We have to put our priorities in place, guys. Come on, can I get an amen? So what is your win? What is your win? You've got to, you've got to set their win, and you're going to make mistakes. You can come play something for me. You're going to make mistakes. How many parents have blown it? You're going to blow it. I mean, we blew it. I mean, we were first time parents and we had all the things that you, you don't need, but you don't know that you don't need. And my family's from the Bahamas. So we had flown from Minnesota to Miami. We'd take this little puddle jumper plane over, over to the Bahamas. And so we get out there on the tarmac I mean, we got everything, giant diaper bags, wipe warmers, all kinds of nonsense. And, and so we get out there and she goes, you know, the plane's going, she's like, I got to go to the restroom. 
And I said, okay, go, I'll give him everything. So she goes to the restroom, and I give him the bags and everything, the stroller and the carry-ons, and she comes back, and she says, where's Alexander? And I said, you have Alexander. You took him with you. She goes, I don't have Alexander. And she looks, and she goes, oh, my gosh, you folded him up in the stroller. And I did. I didn't know he was in there. And... It was just one of those big Eddie Bauer strollers with the canopy, and I thought she took him. And I just folded him up. They were getting ready to put him under the plane. I did. And people are looking like, this kid doesn't stand a chance. So we've all made mistakes. We're going to make mistakes. And in the book, I talk about the discipline years are 0 to 5, the training years are 5 to 12, the coaching years are 12 to 18, the friendship years are 18 plus. Anytime we discipline, I never discipline angry and I always pray before I discipline. If you pray before you discipline, you'll never discipline angry. And I would have come to Jesus meetings with the children what we call them. And just to help you, because some of you, there's a lot of forms of parenting. Okay, but let me help you here. So we go to a restaurant. You know, you got a little baby there, and the baby's in the high chair, and, you know, they put the knife in front of the because it's an 18-year-old waiting tables. They don't know. And so the baby picks up the knife. My wife grabs the knife, tells the baby, you can't touch the knife. The baby starts screaming. This is called foolishness. The Bible says foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child but a rod of correction will drive it far from them. So one of the things that I did as a dad is I never wanted my wife to console foolishness. I, I did want her to console correction. Okay? So foolishness is you're just crying and screaming for foolishness. I don't want mom to console that. Now moms are the best consolers. You can't beat mom at consoling. Anytime the kids get hurt, they want mom. mom mom's the best consoler. My boys can fall down, you know, they're bleeding. I'm like, let me get a picture of that. What is that? Oh my God. You know, like we're not, we're just not good at consoling. You know, like, oh my God, the white meat's showing like, oh, it's terrible. You know, but so mom, mom's the best consoler. So the baby starts screaming. I pick the baby up. We would go to the bathroom and we would have a come to Jesus meeting. All my kids met Jesus in the bathroom. They've all met Jesus many times in the bathroom. When we come back from the bathroom, one of us would be hyperventilating. Not me. We sit the baby down. Now mom is consoling correction. You want mom to console correction. You don't want mom to console foolishness. Come on, so good. So in order for her to console correction, dad, you have to be involved in discipline. And dads are, in my opinion... They're much better in discipline. It's, I don't know what it is. But moms, your words, if your words are worth, you know, you know, a hundred dollars, dads are worth a thousand. I don't, and I don't know what it is. My wife will tell me it's not fair. She's like, I can say it and say it and you just walk in the house. And when you say it, it just, it just carries weight. You, you have to, you have to be that voice in the home. Yeah. 
You cannot be silent. You're not off work when you get home. You're off work when your kids go to bed. That's when you're off. You go from working hard to coming home and working harder. You're not, you're not off when, when the kids, you know, just when you're home. I have to come home and play. I have to play with little kids. I'm 44 years old. When I was, when I was younger, I'd get on the ground and wrestle with them and everything, you know, and fight with them. At 44, you're like, hey. You know. It's different. And I'm re- I had to come up with systems to live and survive. Like I'm responsible for cleaning the house. I t- at the end of the day, I take responsibility to put the house away. So I get all the kids, and I, they were driving me nuts. So I got, I bought a laser pointer. I'm telling you, save your life. I bought a laser pointer. Because I don't pick stuff up, and they can't see nothing. Pick that up. What? I don't see it. What? I don't see anything. So I got my laser pointer. Now I'm like, hey, you see that right there? Move that over there. Hey, you see that right there? Move that. So I can live and not die. Some of y'all on Amazon right now buying laser printers. You have, you have to set an atmosphere in your home for peace and joy. You guys have things here. You guys have a tree here. And in the Bahamas, they have a tree that we don't have in Minnesota called palm trees. And the reason we don't have palm trees in Minnesota, it's not because of the, the seed or the soil. The reason we don't have palm trees in Minnesota is we don't have the right atmosphere. There are some things in your family that will not grow till you set an atmosphere. Anybody have that little thermostat in your house? And how many of you, how many of you asked the question, who touched the... And you'd be shocked how one little degree can make people fly off. One little... Somebody, it's hot in here. Somebody touched the thermostat. I'm freezing. Somebody touched the thermostat. One little... You need to start doing that spiritually. And say, we're arguing a lot. I think somebody... somebody, We need to adjust the thermostat of peace. We've been yelling a lot. We need... What's that... We need need to adjust the thermostat in prayer. You're not a thermometer. You're a thermostat. Your job is not there just to sense the atmosphere. Your job is to set the atmosphere. You set it. I have to be the Tony Robbins in my house. I have to come down, good morning, good morning. I have to do that. If I come down, then they do that. You have to just set it to joy and set it to peace. You have to set these kind of things in atmosphere in your home. Praise the Lord. Set it in your home. Mark 14, 70. Oh, I got to get this to you, but I got to go. I got a plane. But listen, I got a plane to catch. It says, but a woman, this is, this is when Jesus had was going to the cross and Peter denied him. Peter denied him. And listen what this woman says. Because Peter's like, no, I'm not. I'm not one of his disciples. It says, but a woman was listening to him and she said, surely you're one of them because your speech betrays you. 
Your speech betrays you. I want my kids so full of the Holy Ghost that when they try and sin, I told my son the other day, I said, listen to me, you're lying to me. And you know why I know you're lying? Because you suck at it. Because I never taught you to lie. You're no good at it. I said, the world's not going to embrace you. First of all, you have Holy Ghost-filled parents, so you don't stand a chance. I said, you're going to suck at lying. And when you try and cuss, they go, well, you, you sound weird. <laughs> Cussing. When they try and get in the world, the world, my prayer is that the world would reject them. That the world's like, no, we, you, you don't, we don't want you. We don't want, we ain't inviting you to the party. We don't want you getting high around us because you got that spirit-filled mama and you got, you got those parents that, you, you, you too saved. We don't want, that the world, the world would say, nah, you ain't, you, your speech betrays you. You got too much church on you. I can tell when I'm around Christians because they got church speech. I want my kids to be so full of the Holy Ghost, so full of God, that when they try and get around the world, the world's like, nah, we don't want you. We don't invite you. We don't like you. I don't want the world to embrace them. And I'll leave you with this for every parent in here. I got so much to share. Get the book. Get the master class because I don't have time to talk about all of it. But for every parent here who feels like their kids are just not where they need to be with Jesus... You know, you can feel like, man, I'm a bad parent because my kids made mistakes. First of all, let go of the gravity of grace. We're big at letting grace go down, but let grace go up to your parents. Give yourself that grace. And if, if, if you're a bad parent because your kids made mistakes, well, God's the best father that I know. And I know a lot of his kids who made a lot of mistakes, and I'm one of them. So that can't be the definition of being a good parent is your kids never make mistakes. Because how many of you are God's kids and you made some mistakes? And that God is not a bad father. But the children of Israel, their kids were taken captive. And in Jeremiah 33, 16, it says this verse, it says, your works shall be rewarded, says the Lord. As for every parent in here who you take your kids to church, you're praying with them, you're reading the word of God with them, you're spending time with them, and it feels like sometimes it's just, it's not making a difference. And I'll be honest with you guys, because I, I, listen to me, sometimes we have these amazing God moments and just he shows up, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's like, quit passing gas, we are trying to pray. <laughs> what is wrong with you? I'm just being honest with you. I have eight kids. So sometimes it's beautiful. Sometimes it's like, you know, is, is this making a difference? Your works shall be rewarded. And then here it is. It says, and they shall come home from the land of the enemy. They're coming home. That is a prophetic word. For every parent who feels like their children are not where they need to be with Jesus, they're coming home from the land of the enemy. They're coming home. And you just begin to speak that. You begin to prophesy it. You begin to declare it over your children. Speak it over them.
get your children involved in it. And I, I just saw so many young people, Pastor Omar, I saw so many young people here in this conference. There's so many young people that God wants to use now. I saw it, Pastor Roxanne, I saw it. When they were down worshiping, crying, tears running out. And, and it reminded me of when I, I was at the largest comeback in NFL history, the Vikings game. I did the chapel for them. I take credit for the, the win. And I was sitting in the stands with my sons and I looked up in the corner and I saw about 50 teenagers, 68,000 people in the room. I looked at them and I saw about, saw about 50 teenagers and they started doing this thing called the wave. Anybody ever been in the stadium? And they, and they did, and they, and they were trying to get it going and then and they might have been up there about 15 minutes trying to do the wave. And then, it, then it was about 100 people. Then it, was, then it was like a whole section started. And then, it, and then it, you know, these catches and then, it, and then it gets to you, and you're like, are we doing this? We're doing that. And then you do the wave, and then it starts going around the whole stand. And, and we're all doing the waves. Now 68,000 people are doing the wave. And it dawned on me of all the stadiums I've ever been in and all the waves I've ever been a part of. I've never seen a wave started with old people. It always starts with young people. It always starts with young people. We're the ones sitting there. Are we going to do this? Is this happening right now? Why is the music so loud? Why is this happening? Are we doing is This is what we're doing now? Okay, here we go. Fine. But, but, but they're, they're doing the wave. And just as much as I saw that wave, I thought, God, let there be a wave. I prophesy a wave into this reach family that would start with the young people, that would consume all of us, every age, men and women, but God, let it start. Let them start something. And it may not feel comfortable. It may not, it may feel like it, it makes us uncomfortable. It makes us have to move. It makes us have to get out of our seat. It makes us have to participate in something that we would just never participate in. I would never start that. But I love that you started it. And I sat there in awe of 68,000 people in unity because 50 teenagers were willing to look different, stand out, and do something that nobody else was doing. All of you young people, start the wave. Start the wave. You get something out of this? Would you stand with me? Let me pray for you. And like I said, um, I don't know how many books they have left. Get the book. Buy one for every child. Buy one for your staff. Um, get the master class because I, I literally just scratched the surface on, on, on what we talked about today. But get involved with these phones with your kids. Don't be passive about it. Be the parent that God's called you to be. God will give you beautiful things. He wants you to have so many beautiful things. He just wants you to have him first. I went to Disney with my family, and we went there, and uh, this was years ago, and we were walking through the gift shops, and we were in one of the gift stores, and my daughter, Isabella, came to me. She gave me this little Minnie Mouse ring. She looked at me and said, can I have it? And I looked at her and I said, no. 
put that away. Nobody touch anything. Nobody's getting anything. Everybody get out of here. Because they're like blood in the water to a shark. Once one gets something, they all want something. And I said, everybody get out of here. And so we started walking down and I told Joanne, I said, take them down a little further. I'm going to go back and get her this little Minnie Mouse ring. And so I went back and I, I got the ring and it was in November. And so on Christmas morning, I gave it to her. And I, I remember getting, I don't know what it cost, $150,000 at Disney. <laughs> so I, I remember when I gave her the ring, she, she opened it and she, she, she looked at the ring. And when she, she got the ring, she, she looked at me and she dropped the ring and grabbed me. And I, I learned in that moment that God will give you the desires of your heart as long as when you get it, you're willing to drop it to grab him. Yeah. He is the treasure. He is the treasure of heaven. He is heaven's only subject. He is the X on the treasure map. And there is nothing more beautiful and shinier to offer your children than Jesus. Don't spend more time trying to get them places and do things more than you get them to the Lord. And so I want to pray for every parent. Would you just lift your hands to the Lord? Father, I pray for every parent right now. God, I thank you that they have the anointing to be who you've called them to be, to raise the children that you've given them. And God, I, I just curse every demonic thought of inadequacy, of failure. Lord, I remove all of the guilt and shame. So many of us, when we hear words like this, there's just this overwhelming sense of guilt or we blew it or we messed up. God, I know that you are the God that can restore the years that the palm worm and the canker worm and the locusts have eaten up. Lord, I declare over every mom and dad, you're a wonderful mother. You're a wonderful father. God gave you those children and God's going to restore and redeem the years that all of our children, all of our grandchildren would spend eternity in heaven with us. Help us raise godly parents in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com slash give.